You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. I want to ask you, if you will, to stand. We're about to recite together uh, an historic creed. Um, it's called the Nicene Creed. Sometimes in this space we, uh, we recite the Apostles' Creed, but today we're reciting the Nicene Creed, and you'll know why But by the time we get to the end of the message. Um, I'm just, I have a thing about creeds, especially if you grew up in a liturgical tradition. You kind of, it's one of those things that gets stuck in your head and you just say it. You say it, you don't really think about it. But I think of a creed, especially if you know how these creeds were hammered out, the people who died for the words you're about to read. I think of a creed as a proclamation. So I want to invite you right now to enter into this creed as a personal proclamation of what you believe. As if, as if you are arguing with the enemy himself about what is most true. Brothers and sisters, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Come on, y'all. Amen and amen. You can be seated. On the night Jesus was arrested, he had gone with his friends to some secluded place so he could pray. And in that place, Jesus let himself feel. He let himself feel the whole weight of the mission. He prayed his heart out. He begged for a different option than the one that was standing in front of him. So he's on the ground. Picture this, praying, crying, pleading. Have you been there? 
But the disciples who are with him don't see what's ahead like he does. The whole thing just makes them tired. And they keep falling asleep, which only frustrates Jesus more than he's already frustrated. But then this crowd shows up, the one Judas got paid to stir up with swords and clubs, and they're there to haul Jesus off. Someone, probably Peter, lets his emotions get ahead of his brain. Have you been there? And cuts off somebody else's ear. And then pandemonium breaks out. Everybody is grabbing everybody. And a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment is grabbed by the mob. And he manages to escape by shimmying out of his clothes. Have you been there? <laughs> and then he runs naked into the night. Do you remember who that guy was? That's Mark, probably Mark. That story is where we began this whole series of messages on the Gospel of Mark. He was the, his first lesson for us back in June was to stop running and take authority. When we shared that story back in June, we said that this moment, as bizarre and as awkward as it was, seemed to change Mark. He lost his garment, but somehow through that failing and maybe others, he gained the glory of Jesus. Which means, as one commentary says, that there is hope for us who stumble our way into following Jesus. Thanks be to God. <laughs> There's hope for us who stumble our way into following Jesus. For all our hesitation and our running and our lack of self-confidence, there is a witness in Mark's story. We can still end up inside the glory of God. We can be clothed in the authority of Christ, and that cannot be taken from us. I suspect this pivotal moment in Mark's life is why his gospel is written the way it is. It is full of fire. He explodes onto the page from the first words. The first eight chapters are miracle after miracle after miracle. All of it so full of energy. The word immediately is used 42 times in the gospel of Mark. Almost like Mark is trying to catch up to Jesus or maybe trying to make up for lost time. So the first eight chapters of this rapid fire, supernatural ministry, and then in chapter nine, Mark makes a shift. He moves from miracles to mission. He gets us prepared for what Jesus is walking himself into. Jesus gives himself to this mission. He will say, Mark chapter 10, that his mission is to become a ransom for many, to serve, not be served. Mark wants us to be very clear on this. Mark knew, excuse me, Jesus knew where the road was taking him. And, what, and, his, and his faith in it. And now he'll call his followers to the same faith, to become awake to what God is doing in the world which is exactly what happened to Mark in a very stark way. And it is surely why he was so energized by the mission of Jesus. So I want to end this series where we began, in that garden where Jesus prayed and his followers had to make a choice. I want you to look with me at Mark chapter 14. The best way to engage the message always is with your Bible and something to write on, either in the margin of your Bible or on something you can take notes on. When chapter 14 opens, 
Jesus is anointed with oil by a woman, and Jesus interprets that moment. He says, she is anointing me for burial. He knows what's coming. And then he has this supper with his followers, and he, he, he redefines the elements of the Passover in light of his own sacrifice. He knows what's coming. And then after a big, big day, either that evening and the next day, he gathers a few of his friends together and he walks out with them to a quiet place so he can be in the presence of God. Mark 13, oh, excuse me, 14, 20, Mark 14, 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. This is a very human Jesus when we see it. I mean, we can, we can see him suffering. He, he's anguishing. He, he, he doesn't whine. But we sure recognize that mindset. He prayed the same prayer you and I have prayed a thousand times from our grade school, begging for God to please let us pass this test, to our painful longings for a God to show us who we are, to our very grown-up crises that feel too big to bear. God, please Get me out of this. Have you ever prayed that one? Please get me out of this. I hope it comes as a comfort to you to know that Jesus has prayed your prayer. He has felt your agony. Jesus felt, he felt the weight of death and, and the press that comes when we get close to death. Is there any other way to get this done, God? Any other way to get to what we hope for without bearing this pain, this awful sin-bearing pain, as John Stott calls it? I know. You can hear Jesus. You can hear him, this crying out the words of Mark 10, 45. I know, God, that I have come to serve and not be served, that I have come to make my life a ransom for many. But God, is there any other way? Jesus, spirit crumbled, body prostrate, nerves shot, heart distressed. This is God feeling his humanity, feeling it the way we feel it. And these emotions didn't push him away from God. They pushed him toward God. There it is. <laughs> Dan Allender says, emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. In that moment of agony, we are given a rare gift. We get to see the magnificent mystery of the whatever it is between father and son. We get to see it in this moment. What we're given is the gift of good theology. Jesus is overwhelmed. He grieved. He bargained. In this moment, we experience the, the fullness of his humanity right along with the power of his divinity. I want you to say this part of the creed uh, together again. For us, 
and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and he suffered, and he suffered, and he suffered. That was the ultimate mark of his humanity. He suffered. None of our analogies completely capture the nature of this Jesus. It isn't quite this. It's not quite that. Where drips of Jesus' divinity seep into a human body without ever really fully mixing in. Although I think most of us think Jesus is more like this. Pieces of God dripping down onto the earth, not really soaking in, not really fully absorbing it's not that. The, the story the Bible tells is that it's more like this, where two parts make a different whole. But probably, probably, when Jesus was made man, it was more like that. More like a cosmic collision than a careful experiment. When we look into this scene here at Gethsemane, Jesus on the ground crying out, we're encountering that collision. Jesus was God, and he came to us in flesh and blood. He entered in, completely entered in, so he could fully identify with our weaknesses, our humanity, and he could show us what it means to be fully alive. This idea... The geeky term for it is hypostatic union. It's what gave birth to the Nicene Creed. That's why we read the creed this morning. That creed emerged from a debate that rose up hundreds of years after, um, after the, the followers of Jesus had already, we already understood what had happened to Jesus, but we began to get confused. And so more than a thousand years ago, two camps began to argue about the substance of Christ, the very nature of Jesus. Was he like God, maybe similar, but not the same? Or was he God, made of God's stuff, cut out of the same cloth, while somehow also becoming a man? The thing is, if we slide him on the God side, if we focus on his teachings and example without embracing his cosmic character, his, his cosmic power, we lose his div divinity. Not to mention running the risk of idolatry, worshiping a substance that is not God. If we slide him on the human side, unable to accept the unique nature of the Son or the power of his sacrifice, his humanity in the temptations, his frustration with fallenness, that he suffered. Then we're in danger of Unitarianism, missing the fullness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, one Father of us all. So in this garden scene, theology becomes such a gift to us because on the face of it, this just looks like a man who's sweating blood, troubled, deeply discouraged, but scratched beneath the surface, and here is God and God's big picture plan. Listen, Jesus has accomplished in his body, through the perfect union of divinity and humanity, what we all long for most, peace. 
So Jesus resisted sin because he felt it. He loved his enemies as enemies because he sensed their opposition. He forgave people because he experienced the grief of their sins against God. He fell on the ground and cried just like you have done. And he begged God not to take him down hard roads. None of this was role play. Jesus became a man. He felt his feelings. He set aside the use of his divine perks so he could be fully alive and so that you and I can be fully alive. Why did God make a Messiah? To restore humanity to its created form. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, was a successful experiment in perfect humanity. And because of that, He is our hope. He is what it means to be fully alive. Why did God make us a, a Messiah? To become the perfect sacrifice so that redemption could be won for all humanity by a whole person, spirit and body. Why did God make a Messiah? To restore our perfect communion with God. Based not on our imperfection, but on his perfect love. We have a relationship with God because of his perfect love for us. His sacrifice satisfied the need to make things right again. And he did it single-handedly, which means that we have nothing to offer God Accept our acceptance of Jesus Christ. That's it. This Jesus, the one who's on the ground, in the garden, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, took on human form, married his nature with ours, and then died so we can be fully alive to God. Come on, people. Come on. Earlier this summer, in one of the first weeks of this series on the Gospel of Mark, we took up the last verses of Mark's story. By the time we get to Mark chapter 16, the very end, Jesus has moved on from this garden. His friends have run off. He has been disowned and deserted, including the one who ran naked from the garden. And now Jesus has been arrested mocked by the soldiers in charge of guarding him, questioned by Pilate, cru cruelly, cruelly crucified. He has died, his body placed in a tomb. And now at the very end of Mark's gospel is this surprise ending. Jesus in his body has been resurrected, his divinity proven. And three women who had followed him came to the cross, or excuse me, came to the tomb so they could tend to his body, but it wasn't there. And an angel met him there and told them he'd risen from the dead, that they needed to go tell the other disciples, the ones who'd been following since Mark chapter 3. And according to Mark, the women ran from the scene scared to death. <laughs> that was the end. That's where the earliest manuscripts have Mark ending the story. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. <laughs> Somehow that ending, as, as abrupt as it sounds, feels very real to me. 
It's as if the women have found the heart of the very human Jesus that was laid in the garden at Gethsemane. They have found that heart, that same heart, in the tomb, and they run from it, not sure what story to tell. While Mark, the writer of the gospel, picks that heart up and he hands it to us. He hands it to us as if to say, your story has not yet been told either. You're, you who are still waiting for your next chapter, you who are still longing for wholeness, don't forget that Jesus gets you, that he longs for you as you long, that he suffers like you, cries out like you, feels like you. Jesus, uh, Mark hands that heart to us with an invitation to carry it into our unfinished stories. Matthew, Luke, and John will make it very clear that Jesus made it out of the tomb and the women told somebody. But Mark, Mark just wants you to hear, don't, don't forget that in this sacred heart of Jesus, fully human, fully God, the warring sides of you can find peace. In fact, get as close to this heart as you possibly can. Because this heart, the sacred heart of Jesus, is life for you. Have you considered, I mean really considered, just what a personal gift it is to each one of us that God became man and felt what we feel. Look at verse 35. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This prayer reinforces that call to come close to God because the name he uses here, Abba, is a very intimate term for Father. It's only used three times in the New Testament. This is the human Jesus getting as close to the glorious heart of God as possible. <laughs> His prayer completes the work begun at the table. Eating and drinking is also intimate work. And Jesus takes the promises that were spoken over the table and now he brings them into the presence of the Father. Abba, Lord, I belong to you. My will is yours and this is hard. <laughs> Come on. I've prayed that prayer five times today. That's the kingdom definition of intimacy. My will is yours, whatever the cost. And this is hard. Look at verse 37. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? <laughs> Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray. You should underline that first verse, uh, words of verse 38. Watch and pray. That's huge. 
so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so he went away and he prayed the same thing. God, my will is yours, but this is hard. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. So here we are at the end of this explosive book, 42 immediately's in this book, 18 chapters of miracles, uh, excuse me, eight chapters of miracles, the intense mission of Jesus heightened with every scene. It is exhausting. Never mind the physical toll, just the mental exercise of trying to wrap your brain around the incarnation. That all by itself is enough to exhaust a person. It would be awesome if the call of Jesus was to sleep, wouldn't it? I'd be all in on that one. (laughs) Because some of us are just plain exhausted. And some of us have exhausted ourselves on things that don't lead us into the heart of God. And what happens when I spend all my energy on other things and then find myself in moments like this, unprepared, not ready, no energy left for the big moments God invites me into? I'm just preaching to myself right now. I feel for these guys. I get them. And to them and to us, Jesus Give some sage advice. Don't get yourself so worn out by the things that don't count that you're not able, when when it really counts, to watch and pray. It's the same word we found last week embedded in Jesus' teaching on the end of time. He told them, then, don't let them find you sleeping. I mean, he said this. Not like they hadn't been told. He said this, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everybody, watch. And the Greek word for that literally means be awake, be alive on this earth. And yet here they are, less than a chapter later, sleeping over and over. I think it's brilliant. I think Mark wants us to hear this call and use this moment to to ask ourselves, are we awake or do we just think we are? Am I wearing myself out on things that don't matter with no energy left for the great moves of God? Lord, Lord, make us awake to what you're already doing. Jesus, make us obedient to what we see you doing. Abba, keep me from stuff that just makes me tired, causes me to miss the big kingdom moves. I don't want to miss my place in the story because I was sleeping through it. Jesus, please. Look at verse 41. Returning the third time, he said to them, I'll give you a guess. Are you still sleeping? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise immediately, right now. Get up, get up. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. So Mark ends the scene by walking Jesus into the hands of his betrayer. He is ready to do the hard thing, to become the table 
he redeemed at the table. And so now I want to invite you to experience the table, that table, with all your, with all your senses. So Jesus invites us into the garden with him. And I just want to invite you to feel, Krista, um, I just want to invite you to feel this moment. You're in the presence of God. Maybe you close your eyes. You're with him. And you're tired. He's overwhelmed with sorrow. Can you feel the weight of that sorrow? I wonder, what are you burdened by right now, in this moment? What breaks your heart? What has you anxious? What makes you tired? Can you bring it before God? Can you bring it into his presence and just say it the way Jesus prayed it? Look, I am, I'm all in, but this is tiring. This is hard. Maybe I'm not all in. I don't get it. In this moment, he invites you to just hear the very heart of God. Bring it in there. Just bring it into the heart of God. Bring what makes you tired. Bring what has you discouraged. Bring what breaks your heart, has you anxious. Get as close as you can. And here, in this close place, Let's also deal with your sin. You know, it overwhelmed Jesus with our sin. So what sins do you need to acknowledge in this garden with Jesus? What do you need to seek forgiveness for? Can you ask your Father to drain your sins of their power over your life? Can you, can you get up close? Not, no defenses, not pulling away. Get up close and say, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I struggle with. Here's what's so hard for me, Lord. And I'm handing it to you. I confess it and I'm handing it to you.
after you've handed those to him, as you finish, I want you to hear this word over your life in the name of Jesus. You are forgiven. And now, allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your spirit. Deep, calling to deep. You know, Jesus himself, all God, all man asked if he could get a pass on the hard things and instead God strengthened him for the hard things. So right now, can you, can you feel yourself being strengthened by his presence? Get up close. Call on the Holy Spirit. Can you ask him to give you strength for the assignments he's giving you? Can you pray the most courageous prayer of all? Not my will, but yours, God. Not my will, but yours. This is hard, but not my will. Yours. Can you pray that? And again, Jesus prayed, Abba, Abba. Can you say that just in your spirit? Abba, Father. It was a prayer of closeness, a desire to know the heart of the Father, to have God's heart to hold it, to, to hold the very thing that Mark, the writer of this gospel, so wants to hand us at the end of his telling. For everything that is a question in your life, can you pray the prayer of Jesus, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Maybe even hold your hands out as if you are holding his heart in your hands, just like this, Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. And when you give, ask God to give you what it takes to be awake to him, fully awake to what he is doing in the world, in your world, Abba, Father, everything is possible. So take what can be taken and give me strength for what I've got to walk through. Lord, make us awake to what you're already doing, Jesus. Make us obedient to what we see you doing. Abba, keep me from the stuff that just makes me tired causes me to miss the big kingdom moves because I don't want to miss our place in this story because we slept through it. Make us awake. Make us awake. And so Mark says, well, Jesus says, Jesus says, <laughs> rise, rise. 
everything that has to be done has to be done. This is my body broken for you that you might be fully alive. And this cup, my blood poured out for you and for many, is the cup of the new covenant offered to all of us for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink from this cup, as often as you eat from this loaf, don't just remember Jesus. Come close to Jesus. So Lord, we ask you to consecrate these gifts and make them be for us the very body and blood of Christ in the same mysterious way that you make the very Lord of our souls into a man, a flesh and blood man. We are asking you to do the same with these elements, God, and make them the very body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by your blood. Make us one with each other and, and one in union with the mission that Christ has so that the whole world can know that Christ has died but Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. We love you, Jesus. We honor and worship you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.